Welcome and thank you for being part of the Becker's HIT and RCM virtual forum. I'm Molly Gamble, Vice President of Editorial for Becker's Healthcare, and today I'm delighted to serve as your moderator for a conversation about what CIOs need most to thrive in the next 10 years. I'm joined today by Mitch Parker. He is the Chief Information Security Officer with Indiana University Health and Zafir Dr. Zafir Shadri, Senior Vice President and CIO of Seattle Children's. So Mitch, Zafir, thank you so much for joining me today for this conversation. Before we dive in, let me ask each of you just to share a bit more about yourselves and your organizations. Zafir, I'll ask you to begin. Thank you, Molly, for having me today. Uh, I'm Zafir Chowdhury at Children's in Seattle. We're a health system for pediatric medical care, 46 sites across four states, and we just look after kids. Perfect. Thank you. And Mitch? So I'm Mitch Parker. I'm the Information Security Officer at Indiana University Health, Indiana's largest healthcare system. We have 17 hospitals. One of them is Riley Hospital for Children and provide care to a very large amount of citizens in the state of Indiana. All right. Well, fantastic. Thank you both for your time today. So to get started, I think perhaps we should start with the most defining event of the past several years, if not your professional lifetimes for CIOs, and that has been the pandemic. I'm curious, as we get started, talk about what CIOs need most in the next decade. How did your, your role change or evolve during this pandemic? Mitch, can I turn to you first for some insights? Absolutely. So the we looked at the curve of inpatient versus outpatient, and, and we figured in about five years you were going to see outpatient eclipse inpatient. That happened this year. And we saw a significant rise in telemedicine and outpatient services and healthcare, which was known for being behind in a lot of areas, had to move very, very quickly to be able to move ahead to be able to meet customer demands in areas such as telemedicine and providing outpatient services and remote monitoring. So what we've gathered from this pandemic is that we have to move significantly further ahead. We should kind of still need to move that curve. So the timeline, the expected timeline for, like you said, outpatient eclipsing inpatient was really condensed. That sped up greatly over the past year. Zafra, what have you seen? How has this changed your job and your role with your organization? So certainly the pandemic has pushed us into accelerating digital health in general. We've seen an acceleration around the, the patient experience and how that is delivered moving forward. So yeah, absolutely a pivot from physical to virtual, literally overnight for most healthcare organizations. And, and from a CIO perspective, it's quite interesting because I believe that we are now as CIOs across different health systems more embedded in the business. So people are now looking to us for solutions, uh, for problems that they have on a daily basis. I think it's exciting. I mean, the pressures of the pandemic aside, it's exciting to be included in business planning, in new initiatives. Certainly for children's, we've, we've tried to move people away from main campus to one of our remote sites or even to a home. So virtual care has absolutely taken off. Uh, and there's more, there's a more of a demand for use of app apps for, for those patients that have access 
to smartphone uh, type devices. So we, we've seen that shift of the CIO to more of a business centric focus. And let's be honest, nobody cares about the technology. They care about what solution you can provide. Mm -hmm. Mitch, has it been the same for you in terms of being integrated more into those strategic decisions and the, the business functions of IU? Absolutely. And the to build on what Zaffer said, one of the big challenges that we saw and big changes was that the rest of the senior leadership team became suddenly very cognizant of limited resources within IS for their, for their customers. And so we were able to leverage the advantage to be able to work with them more closely on resource prioritization. So just got a little bit of a sense about how your role has changed over the past year. I, I now am going to ask you a challenging question, which is for some thoughts about what the CIO role could look like 10 years from now. So 2030, um, given what you've seen over the past several years, what do you anticipate or see a, a great chance of occurring for your profession over the next decade? Mitch, let me stay with you on this question. Absolutely. So we are ingesting such a gigantic amount of data and the number, the amount of data we're ingesting over the next, next year alone is just exponential. So think of what's gonna happen in 10 years and think of what's gonna happen with the increasing automation of what we have, plus also the inclusion of such technologies as hospital command centers and the continued focus on intelligent systems, specifically AI and ML, to assist us with the torrents of data that we're going to deal with. I see the CIO role evolving, not from someone that manages technology within an organization, but to managing strategically how an organization puts together systems and data to be able to deal with the flow of data, aka more of a strategic traffic cop to be able to handle data, make sure it's being used appropriately and coordinating the systems because the more we evolve with the ever increasing amount of data, the more we're gonna to have to be dependent upon intelligent systems to be able to make sense of it and utilize it effectively. So a strategic traffic cop with data in influencing the flow of that data, ensuring its compliance, its appropriate use of that data. I really like that analogy, Mitch. Zephyr, anything you would add to that? I, I, I would love to hear your thoughts first on strategic traffic cop with data. Do you see that as a likely um, transformation for your role over the next decade? So absolutely, I agree with Mitch that that would be definitely be one component of the CIO's future role. I would probably add that the CIO will be the transformation agent for organizations moving forwards. They'll heavily be involved in problem solving, solution delivery. I don't believe the future of a CIO is a technologist. You know, you don't have to work in data centers to be the CIO. It'll be more of a business hat and more of a, you know, embedded with the business hat. So you'll see CIOs walking the floors, working with clinicians directly, uh, looking at how workflows can be transformed. I also believe that infrastructure work within the IT department 
will become security-led and not led by just a technologist. And I've certainly actually just made that change last week. So instead of having a CTO and a CISO separate roles, constantly battling for the future, I've actually had one individual become the chief technology and security officer. Because I think that there's always been a battle, certainly in my organization, between what does security look like? What does the infrastructure look like? And I thought, well, let's just combine that and make it security-led. So I think the next generation CIO will definitely have their eye on the ball when it comes to security as well, because that's such a big threat. And um, it'll, be, it'll also be a person who's involved in deciding and participating with the COO and the CMO at the executive level on mergers, acquisitions, uh, clinical practices, and how to incorporate those into the business, uh, making an organization more of an ecosystem of care versus hospital-centric. Really interesting. I'm so glad you brought up these different titles too that have really proliferated in the C-suites related to technology. So you mentioned Chief Technology Officer, CISO. Also, I got some flavors of Chief Innovation Officer there with some of the problem-solving work you mentioned, Zephyr. Um, I want to open it up to you as well and, and, and just talk a little bit about the CIO's role in relation to these other roles in the C-suite. So you mentioned, Zafra, blending the CTO and CISO role. So it's a security-led infrastructure initiative in organizations. Mitch, do you have any thoughts on how there might be some overlap or merging of different roles that are existing now over the next 10 years? So it's not these silo domains, but really more, a more holistic approach. Absolutely. And I will say, again, what Zaffer did, I've actually seen in practice at another children's healthcare institution on the East Coast, because I know CHOP just did that same thing with Monique St. John. So I look at technology and security as being on a collision course, but I always viewed it as more as the CISO and CIO being more on that course to merging, because the way we look at it is strategically in an organization, you start to see a lot of functions merge together. I see privacy and security eventually merging into one more advisor role type in an organization strategically. And I see a lot of what the CIO does. And again, I bring that up because I've also seen CIOs also be excellent chief transformation officers to your point. My, our CIO was, was the chief transformation officer at UMass Memorial. I see a lot of those roles intermixing. So yes, CIO and Chief, Chief Transformation Officer, I see those roles kind of merging because they're actually very complementary. I actually see CISOs, CTOs, and Chief Privacy Officers, all three of those roles actually converging. And the reason why is because data centers are expensive, infrastructure is expensive, and a lot of hospitals are getting out of the data center business. So now it becomes more of a role where it's oversight and advisory. So that's why I see those three roles kind of merging. And I think that a lot, I actually think that you're going to see a lot more involvement with CIOs in revenue cycle because with revenue cycle, there's just so much automation going on right now. And we see that increasing significantly over the next 10 years. So I think you're going to see the C-suite 10 years from now 
you may see some combination of CIO, chief transformation officer, and head of revenue cycle, actually, and some combination of privacy, security, and risk, alt and technology all together as, again, everything is constantly changing. I can't tell you exactly what the titles are, but I can tell you it's going to happen, and we're not going to recognize what those titles are, but we will recognize where the roles are. That makes sense. So I'm hearing, like, regardless of organization, it sounds like the CIO span of reach will greatly increase over the next 10 years, based on your remarks here. I want to now talk about the CIO's team. So I, I would love to learn a little bit more about your respective teams, how many people that includes. And then my question here is about skill gaps. What skill gaps do you think will greatly emerge or, or widen over the next decade between the skills your team has now and, and what they'll need? Uh, 10 years from now. Zafra, let me turn to you first for some, some thoughts on this one. So at Children's, I have about 500 people in my IT group. And it's anything from infrastructure people to security people to project managers, you know, and digital health as part of that component. In terms of skill sets, I think we're already seeing skill, skills gaps. So I have a lot of technology people but I don't have a lot of business people. And, you know, no longer are people just saying, I want to buy a piece of software or I want to buy a, a box with flashy lights. People are actually saying, in this particular specialty, I have this particular problem. Who's going to come and help us solve that? And actually what I need is people who can understand the, the business of healthcare, who can understand clinical workflows, who can then translate that into a technological slash operationally led solution, which can then be implemented because all of these programs of work now are forms of transformation for healthcare systems across the country. And that's really where we need to go. So I am looking to see whether I can actually incorporate more business trained individuals. And for those good people in the team, I'm actively encouraging them to further their education. Those with bachelor's degrees, I'm encouraging them to chase sort of MBAs, master's programs that help them on that transformation journey to be business-centric technology leaders. So a lot of people speaking the technology language, but it sounds like a need for multilingual, you need to be able to talk clinical workflow and think that way, business and strategy of the health system and hospital. That makes a lot of sense. Mitch, how about for you? Are you seeing what Zephar just described and anything else? Absolutely. So I can tell you our IS team is, it's actually now IIS because we just merged in clinical informatics, is split up into four key areas. Number one being the aforementioned clinical informatics and applications. Number two being infrastructure and innovation. Number three being enterprise analytics and number four, information security. So the way I see it right now is I agree with Zaffer. We need more people who understand business and needs analysis. We have a lot of great people that understand technology. However, we are moving past the point of I need to buy X server or do this. It's more we need to be able to understand what the customer's needs are, put together a good plan with excellent resource estimation understand the total cost of ownership and return on investment and be able to effectively communicate that to leadership to be able to hopefully get these implemented. And the way I look at it is, is the 
best course of action, I think, for a lot of people who are in the technology field is to get that MBA degree because an MBA covers a lot of what people need to know to be able to perform the analysis and be able to understand what to do. And also, we think communication skills are also incredibly important as we believe that that's something that people really need to have to be able to work with their customers. And like we're saying about the CIO role being more strategic, to be more strategic, you have to be an excellent communicator. You have to understand your customers well. And quite frankly, you have to be able to stand up in front of your leadership team and explain what you're doing and explain it well enough that you don't get destroyed with questions. And we have to build those skills in our teams. And I've made it a focus on my security team, especially to develop people for communication skills and business knowledge, because ultimately we are judged by how well we execute for our customers. And I want to give them every chance to succeed in doing so. And so it sounds like you're both looking at a very similar skill gap that's already existing. And if you mentioned advanced degrees, can you share one example of, I, I would be, it would be really interested to hear this, an example or a story of an instance where the technology language was spoken seamlessly. It was thought through and analyzed through a technology lens, but perhaps not through a clinical workflow lens or a business lens. Um, is there one recent example that you would feel comfortable bringing forward? So from our perspective, I'll take the example of, so we have a pandemic and every hospital has clinicians that visit the patient at the bedside. But what you don't want to do is, is crowd 15 people around a patient bed when we're supposed to socially distance. So we looked at this problem and initially, you know, from a clinical perspective, it was, you know, why don't we just turn on some technology and make that happen. And it's not as simple as that, right? So we had to analyze how can we provide rounding, but in a format that not only can the clinicians participate remotely and non-remotely, but also for in, in terms of kids, how do we get parents to participate but not physically show up at the bedside? So if we had just taken the technology approach and put in tools that we use now like Zoom, WebEx, that would not actually have solved the problem. So we used, I have some clinical transformation PMs in my team and we looked at the problem, we looked at the clinical workflow, we engaged a stakeholder group and we came up with a virtual rounding solution that yes, is built on technology, it's actually built on Microsoft Teams, but at the same time, it takes into consideration who has to be involved, the transformation piece, the communications piece, the change management piece. And so that's been very successful. So we've been able to pivot away from physical rounding to virtual rounding for multiple teams in multiple locations. And we've also been able to in include the parents in that conversation every morning when rounding actually happens. So that's why I see IT playing a pivotal role in changing the business versus in the past, what we probably would have done was said, here's WebEx, good luck. And that actually would have just failed. And we would have then been blamed because of course, you never get kudos in IT for doing good stuff. 
but you're absolutely the first one to be blamed when something goes wrong, right? So that's just an example of how the pandemic has driven us to think differently and forced IT to be at that table solving that problem. That's a great example. Thank you for sharing that, Zafar. It was really helpful to understand how that plays out. Um, I want to talk to you about, of course, your budgets. We've talked about your teams. We've talked about how your role might change most in the next 10 years ahead of you. But I want to talk about spending, IT spending and resource allocation and how you see that taking shape and what might be different there. Uh, Mitch, let me turn to you here. How, the budget you have and oversee, how might that look a little different where that money goes over the next 10 years? I think that's what's been happening is you see a lot more jurisprudence over the IT budget from the rest of the organization. A lot of the organization now wants to see what you're spending it on and why. Because before, a lot of the IT budget was opaque to the organization. They would see line items but not understand why. But as IT is gradually being brought into the business, the business wants a greater understanding of expenditures and where you're spending it and what the costs really are. And I think there's been a greater realization that it's no longer, hey, IT just handles it. IT is no longer on a limited pool of resources, it's limited. So again, owing to both our points earlier, we need people with greater business knowledge who are able to articulate the use cases, articulate exactly what's going to be spent and why, and have people understand that this is what you're getting, this is how much it's going to cost, and more importantly, what are the ongoing operational costs are going to be. What I've seen an evolution of over the past year, especially driven by the pandemic, has been an appreciation for ongoing year-over-year -year operational costs of systems. And before, it used to be about five, ten years ago, used to buy a system and pretty much forget about ongoing costs and IT resources were a sunk cost. Now we've, with the cloud and other resources such as that and the transformation of everything in the cloud, we see more of a focus on ongoing operational costs and benefits. And we need to have people within IS who are able to effectively articulate justifications for that to be able to have us be able to maintain the and exceed the level of expenditure that we have and also tie it into that mission. Again, it's a little bit difficult to do all of that and that's why we need the people with the skill sets we need now because again, with the pandemic, we now have increased scrutiny. With the cloud, we have increased scrutiny and we have to be able to continue to work in this new environment and be able to operate much the same way finance or supply chain does. The extra demand is on us to do so. So what I'm hearing, Mitch, is this dynamic. It was for so for so long, it was the CIO and the CFO who are kind of this healthy tension between here's what my budget, my proposal is, and the CFO would provide scrutiny, uh, which they ought to do. Uh, but you're saying, Mitch, that that is expanded. Now it's not just the CFO who is kind of looking at the budget and questioning it and coming to you with questions, but a, a, a number of people in the, the C-suite. Is that correct? That's correct. And it's now gone across the entire organization. And a lot of it comes down to IT is no longer an island. Part of that budget, part of those resource allocations now come from individual business units. And now that individual business units have a stake in the game, they want to understand what they're paying for and what value they get from it. 
Sure. Okay. So Zaffer, that dynamic is one thing Mitch described, and then also the focus on ongoing operational costs and benefits uh, in the budgeting process and resource allocation process. What are you seeing at Seattle Children's? I certainly agree with the comments that Mitch, Mitch has made about how the environment is changing. And I would probably just add that the, the, the amount of money being invested in IT is reducing because every CFO wants us to do more for less, right? And, and the cost of the patient bed day across the US is increasing. So when you look at on a global scale, the outcomes we deliver for the cost of delivery of healthcare is far higher than many other parts of the world. Hence why we are not the number one health system in the world, right? You know, France is. They can deliver better care at a lower cost because they have lower overheads. What they spend on support services like IT, finance, HR are a lot lower than what we do uh, in terms of investments. So certainly at Children's, what I've seen is a huge push from finance to say, let us look at our costs per bed day, adjusted bed day compared to all the other pediatric facilities in the country. And let's not be in the 90th percentile. Let's try and get to the mean percentile, 50th percentile. And how do we do that? So I've seen in my fiscal year that just started last November, a reduction in my operating budget costs of about 4%. And that's to sort of try and balance out spend versus actual achievement. And now Mitch is correct. Everything we invest in, people want to see the benefits realization from those projects. It's not as simple now as saying, I'm gonna buy a piece of software. Now it's, if you buy that software, how much is it gonna cost you? And how much in real benefit would that deliver clinically or non-clinically for the business. And we want you to document that. If you can't do that, then you're not gonna get the funding to do that. So I think that's the, the fundamental shift. And with all of the tools that Mitch alluded to earlier around uh, robotics and robotic process automation, all of those have to go in. So you should need less people to do the same function. And most of our costs, you know, a large percentage of our costs are people. So if you automate some of that function, then that people cost goes down and therefore your overall costs go down. And certainly for us in Seattle, one of our other challenges is it's a very competitive technology environment. So to hire people, we're competing against some of the best names out there to hire them in, and how much we have to pay them. Cost of living in Seattle is astronomically high. And so we have at the children's recently shifted to a model where we can now hire people to work in tech from different states and you don't have to move to Seattle to work for us. And that will allow us to reduce our costs probably about 10% in terms of salary costs. So I think you're seeing all kinds of uh, angles to this cost reduction, benefits realization, transformation model happening. I wanna, as we wind down, I wanna get a sense of the biggest IT purchase or investment that you plan to make in the next year. So we'll focus the lens, not from 10 years, but within the next year. Um, can you tell me what that looks like? Zephyr, let me stay with you for this question. So at Children's, uh, whilst we were having this pandemic, 
we actually went live with a new Cerner to Epic conversion. So that was our biggest purchase that we just completed at the uh, beginning of October. And we've already embarked on our next big investment, which will be a replacement of our ERP system, uh, which currently is Lawson. So that'll be lots of zeros and that'll be another 18 month piece of work. Okay. Congratulations on that go live from October and best of luck with that ERP conversion. Mitch, how about for you in the next year? Biggest investment or purchase you plan on making? So we're looking at this as actually being a multi-year project. We are going to be building a replacement for Methodist and University Hospitals. And that is forecast to be a $2.1 billion initiative that we plan on starting spending on this year. And Zaffer, to your point about the Lawson conversion, we just went through that. And yes, lots of zeros, two years of work and completely worth it. Okay, so some strong conviction there. It's great to hear from both of you. So Mitch and Zaffer, I want to thank both of you for your time, your insightful responses to my questions today and shedding some light on what CIOs will need and how their role will change over the next 10 years. I know this year it would have been difficult to predict even what the past 12 months had held. So to kind of think about 10 years time, I know is a challenging task. So I really appreciate your thought uh, and joining me for this panel today. Thank you very much.